Welcome to the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour with your host and founder, Alex Burr. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Burr, and I, I want to apologize for the, I guess we'll call it the delay in episodes. Time just got away from me a little bit last week. I had to, um, I, I just my schedule got a little mixed up, so I apologize about that. Um, don't, there's really no better way to explain it without getting too overly into the details, but um, it kind of works out better this way because with Thanksgiving, it's kind of a weird NBA week anyway. No games on Thursday. Um, so only five games on on Tuesday when I'm recording this. So it'd be kind of a weird <laughs> um, power hour week anyway. So let's go ahead and get into it. Um, if you need a reminder, our teams for the week are the Bucks and the Pelicans. And I will say um, we'll get into them. We'll get into the Knicks. There's not really a whole ton of injuries that I want to break down, but I do want to talk. Um, I want to talk back shoulder fade and back shoulder fade and insanity are taking this week off for the holiday to make sense. You know, it's a little hard to arrange um, pods this time of year, but in lieu of back shoulder fade this week, we are going to have the same game parlay on this podcast. Now you might be asking yourself, what game are you guys going to be doing? Um, since there are three games, on Thursday this week. Excellent question, hypothetical listener. We are going to be doing the Seahawks and 49ers. Now, the other two games looked kind of appetizing, but let's just be real here. This is probably the best odds um, that we could think of. So my leg, I'll start with my leg. We didn't get um, particular explanations for anybody, but I'm going to start with mine. I'm going to go Ayuk over receiving. Um, at 64 and a half. I don't know if these lines have moved or not. I'm just going to go with the lines that we had originally a few hours ago. So Ayuk over 64 and a half or receiving yards. He's been the primary target for, um, for Purdy this season. I think that's not going to change against Seattle. Seattle secondary is okay, but not like my favorite. Um, Caleb had Lockett over receiving yards at 49 and a half. Gino likes Lockett a lot and for 50 receiving yards seems pretty plausible. Um, and then Zach had Charbonnet anytime touchdown. And again, all you got to do is just get the ball by the goal line and give it to your running back. Gino's not a particularly mobile quarterback. So um, you place $10. The odds on that are plus 709. You place $10 on that bet. You win $70.99. So, you know, what a nice chunk of change on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, parents might be looking at you askew. <laughs> celebrating a bet on Thanksgiving, but hey, you know, you got if you got to do what you got to do. So that's that's what you have going for you on uh, Thanksgiving there. So let's get into the basketball on that note. Um, the only injury of note I want to discuss, I could talk about this Knicks Raptors lawsuit. I don't really understand it. And with the charges being filed, um, I'm not going to really try to break it down too much, in all honesty. It's not something I'm particularly interested in. Um, if the story becomes bigger, then I think it'll be a bigger deal. But we'll, we'll, there's something to monitor for now. So let's. My biggest injury concern for right now is going to be Marcus Smart 
and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are <laughs> um, going through it. I think that's a kind way to put it. They lost Steven Adams before the season. Um, obviously, Brandon Clark's still recovering. Uh, Jake LaRavia just was announced he's going to have surgery on his corneas, I believe, and he's going to miss two to three weeks. Um, Xavier Tillman considered week to week in his recovery. Luke Kennard reevaluated in two weeks. Obviously, Ja. So they're missing a good... Those guys are mostly rotation players. I don't know if you maybe can not consider Tillman and Laravia rotation players, but the way their team is now, they're rotation players. And you're missing a good chunk of your team, and they're not very good already. And now Marcus Smart um, gone with a left foot sprain. This was announced on Friday, and they announced he'd be gone for two, three to five weeks. So at best case scenario, he's coming back in two weeks. And anyone who follows NBA injury reports just knows... <laughs> It's never that first number. Always that second number. And it's usually not that second number either. It's usually longer. So, for instance, there was an announcement today. Monte Morris hasn't played this whole season. Monte Morris is going to be reevaluated in six to eight weeks. They announced that today. The Pistons did. He's just, he's just not going to play. And that's, you know, whatever. Because the Pistons might already be done for the season. That'll be an interesting thing to monitor there. But... I think that, uh, you know, that's always something to keep an eye on when you're doing these injury discussions is that it's never what they tell you isn't always what it is. And I think that's always the important thing to keep your eye on is just, okay, what are they actually saying? And then what's the realistic expectation here? And I think that's something to keep in mind with Marcus Smart. And when is Joss supposed to come back? I'm going to look that up because I don't know when exactly he's supposed to come back. I think we're already halfway through. The earliest he's eligible to return um, is December 19th. I'd be actually absolutely shocked if he played December 19th. Absolutely shocked. And I'm going to look up the Grizzlies record right now because I'm guessing it cannot be pretty. They are three and ten. They are a half game better than the San Antonio Spurs right now, who look object who every time I've watched them have looked abjectly terrible. I don't know how they hung in that game with the Mavericks, that opening game of the season. They looked absolutely awful uh, ever since. So. Yeah, it's not looking pretty in Memphis. Um, I'm going to go ahead and spin the wheel now while it's on my mind. <laughs> who knows? Maybe I'll get the Grizzlies. But then I'll get into my next discussion. I, I want to talk about a player. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about a certain point guard who I may have disrespected in the past. Ah, speaking of the Mavericks, we have spun the Dallas Mavericks. What an interesting little wrinkle there. Um, they're going to be a fun team to watch going forward. And then let's see who my other team is for the next week. So then we got the Mavericks and we got the Phoenix Suns. So all Western Conference. Um... I think with all the injury stuff, and that's another thing too. I think Bradley Beal, I saw is going to miss another three weeks. So um, let me double check the injury report here. Phoenix Suns. Yeah, he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. So you know what? I'm going to go ahead and respin the wheel because I want to take an opportunity to try to evaluate them when they're fully healthy. So I don't, I'm going to be judicious with my respins, but. <laughs> oh man. Um. This might be a team I don't do the second time around. 
we got the Chicago Bulls. Um, okay, so I won't respin it here, but that's that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so okay, so the Mavs and the Bulls. Oh man, um, just this isn't me complaining. This is just me laying out the facts here. Uh, the Bulls are by far the hardest team for me to watch because I live in the Chicago area. I'll just say, and they're blacked out on League Pass, and I don't have a cable subscription, and so. Their games, I always have to go back and watch. <laughs> like, I have to go back and watch at least three days past for the Bulls games. So it's always just a, a fun time with the Bulls, but um, no complaints on my end. Let's start with the Knicks. Um, they're eight and six. I'll just go with the last five for, the, for all these teams because, again, since I haven't recorded in I don't know how long, um, in two weeks, basically. So last five, we got... They beat, lost to the Celtics 114-98. They beat the Hawks 116-114. Destroyed the Wizards 120-99. Beat the Hornets again 122-108. Then lost to the Timberwolves 117-100 last night. Um, my next thing this week... I really didn't appreciate Jalen Brunson before this season. And getting to watch him more in depth, I think, has made me appreciate him more. Um, He's not overly flashy, right? And I mean, this year, he's not doing anything crazy. So far, we're at 48% from three is probably by far his most impressive stat. (laughs) It's not probably close. Um, 24 points, five assists, uh, a steal. I think I heard that he's one of the league leaders in charges um, on a podcast. I think someone said that, and that definitely is backed up by the eye test. He's always in the paint, making stuff happen. What I was talking about earlier in the season two with Randall, how he gets into the paint and makes stuff happen passing-wise, Brunson does the same thing. I think they're both... Something I'll give them both a lot of credit for is they're both selfless initiators. And they're both willing to move the ball at the expense of... okay. Now, obviously, Brunson, if you remember, if you recall the last power hour, um, Brunson was not so eager to move the ball at the end of that game. And that's one of the reasons why they lost. Um, I'm getting stood up by Damian Lillard. One might call it embarrassing. I wouldn't. But one might say that is. Um, Brunson is just a dog. Plain and simple. And he can make things happen. I really have appreciated you give him an inch of space on the three point line. It feels like his pull up is cash money right now. And I think that's probably his most dangerous weapon and what he brings to this Knicks team. That's probably his most valuable dimension for them is that he can just pull up on a dime. And. It's like. It just changes the complexion of the game for them because you can't go under a screen, you can't if you get stuck on a Mitchell Robinson screen, you're toast. And so I think that's probably, that's been something I've appreciated watching about Brunson. It's just like, you can't give him an inch of daylight and that he also is just, he's kind of all over the place in a good way. He does a lot of the little things in such a good way. And I, I never appreciated that before because it's not like a loud little things guy, right? I always talk about the little things guys, but a lot of the little things guys I do, cause I don't get a chance to like hone in on one team. I always notice, like, you know, the loud little things, guys, <laughs> if that makes sense. And Brunson, I've, I've started to notice, like, there's, there's loud little things, guys, on this team 
there's two of them, Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo. Those guys, um, I mean, Dante does, isn't having a conventionally good season, but I mean, he's shooting 38% from three off the bench. He's averaging an offensive rebound a game, which checks out by the eye test. Averaging a steal, which also checks out by the eye test. Um, I guess I'll, I'll lump these two in together because I've wanted, been wanting to talk about Dante DiVincenzo for a while now. I freaking love his energy. He just stands out like in such a good way. <laughs> and I think we'll, we'll tie this into the Bucks section here, actually. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And I'll admit, I'm going to take an L here. I didn't think the Bucks letting him go was that big of a deal. I was terribly wrong. Them letting him go, they did not take the right lessons from that 2021 run. They got lucky to win without Dante DiVincenzo. They did not need him. They did not need a guy who was, he's one of the best, I think one of the probably the best defensive guards in basketball. And they did not need him that year. And now they do. <laughs> now if they, they would kill to have Dante back. But they don't have him. And it's, they don't have anyone to blame but themselves. And look at the predicament they're in now. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And they're still 10 and 4. But just we'll go through the Bucks um points allowed. 117 on opening night, 127, 114, 105 to the Knicks. Slow pace game. 125, 118 to the Pistons, who suck. 126, 112, 109, 112, 99 to the Hornets. <laughs> 125, 129. So they've literally had two games where it's been under 110 all season. And that's that's not good. <laughs> Obviously, we've had some games where we've barely been over 110, right? So I'm, I'm picking nits a little bit here. But I'm just saying the Bucks would really, would really miss. They really miss Dante DiVincenzo. And on that note, the Bucks are 10 and 4. So, you know, maybe they don't miss them that much. They're on a five-game winning streak. But their last five have been against the Bulls, where they won 118-109. Against the Raptors, 128-112. Hornets, 130-99. Mavs, which was a, I think you could categorize as a good win, 132-125. And then the Wizards, 142-129. Um, they're going to have a pretty good test tomorrow. They're playing at Boston. So it's probably going to be one of the premier games of the early part of the season. That should be a shootout if I've ever seen one, especially the way Boston's playing. Um, so I'll be curious to see what happens there. The thing that's been weird about the Bucks, and maybe this was, if I could go back, I'd toss this team back in the, in the wheel and respin it, but I didn't realize that this would be a team where you'd watch a lot of their games without their best players. Because when I had time and I got to watch them, Damian and Giannis weren't really playing together. But the games I have, because I have been watching the Bucks, <laughs> this is the team I do want to watch. And Dame, I think, is a perfect fit for this team. Obviously, the defense is bad. But I don't think he's the worst defender on this team. I think Brooke Lopez is back to what he should be um, after some early season hiccups, we'll just call them. I mean, averaging three blocks a game. I don't really know what else you want from him. Obviously, the three-point shooting could go up for a lot of guys. But Giannis is doing Giannis things. <laughs> I mean, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 4.6 assists, a block, a steal. Um, yeah, it's a typical Giannis season. 
you can't be surprised at this point. He's just this is just what he does. He's this is why he's a top three player in the league right now. But I think the problems with this team lie in their supporting cast, which you can't be surprised after making a trade like that. You can't be like, oh, wow. And after, you know, however many years of a small market team being in the luxury tax, you can't be like, oh, wow. You know, a small market team in the luxury tax. This is this is a complete and total shock. No, this, this was par for the course. This was going to happen. But you, you still can point it out and be like, oh, the supporting cast is kind of bad. And Beasley, <laughs> Beasley is definitely a numbers are deceiving kind of player, because if you just look at his numbers, um, 11 points a game, 47% from three, just absolutely blistering from three. He's one of the best shooters in the league, but there was a reason he did not play last year. How many games did he actually end up playing for the Lakers? Because I know he finished the season in LA. Oh, he played 26 games. How many playoff games did he play for them? He played in 11. How many minutes per game did he play? 8.3. So this man was relegated to the bench after being probably one of the most important players for Minnesota in 21-22. And he's, he's had a really weird career. So I'm not going to hold everything against him here. But when you're that... <laughs> when you're built that way and you're that athletic, I don't really know how you're that bad of a defender. I'm just going to say it that way. To try to phrase it as nicely as I can. <laughs> because... There was one play. I don't remember who they were, who I was watching them play, but it was in crunch time. Someone just did like a little fake to get him away, to get him off of them. And it just totally worked. It was like, and the ball handler was just going towards the paint. It was a five on four. And Beasley was standing over the three point line while the ball handler was inside the three point line. That's just completely unacceptable. You can't have that, especially from a guy who's playing 27 minutes a game. I'm sorry, if you're going to do this, you need to play Pat Connaughton more. I don't even know if Connaughton's good enough to justify playing 27 minutes a game. He's playing 24. Cameron Payne's playing 18 minutes a game. I thought it was a worthwhile pickup, you know, just for the experiment. No, it's it's not. And the thing about this team is that they have young players who are worth trying, right? They have Andre Jackson, who I saw, I think I've only seen him one time. But he's intriguing. You know, the defensive potential there is intriguing. You know, Marjan Bochamp. We talked a lot about him last year, too. And I thought, you know, he's a guy. This is a guy who has a lot of athleticism, a lot of defensive potential. You're not doing yourself a favor here. The regular season for contenders should be figuring out what you have for a playoff scenario. There aren't a lot of regular season teams that actually do this, which I think is a shame. Um, but Marjan Bochamp is a guy who theoretically can do everything that Malik Beasley can do while also being a superior defender, just frankly, a, a way better defender. So I don't understand why, you know, he's not playing more. Jay Crowder, um, a guy I didn't mention in the injury section because I knew I was going to have a chance to talk about him today. He's going to miss two months, it sounds like. Again, they say two months, it'll probably be more. He's going to miss a while with an injury, so that's going to be unfortunate because he was, I'm just going to say, obviously only nine-game sample, but this was the best he ever shot ever. (laughs) 51% from three. 
And obviously he's not going to bring, you know, game changing defense, but he defends. Will he defend well? That's that's up for your interpretation, but he defends. And I don't know, like Middleton's not a world. World breaking defender either. Bobby Portis, I don't really know what position he is defensively. I probably I'd probably play him at center. But I. This team's problem went very quickly from offense to defense under Budenholzer. Okay, under Budenholzer, this team didn't make mistakes. They always boxed out. They finished possessions. This team gives up way more offensive rebounds than they did last year. They just did. I'm just looking at basketball reference. I'm not even looking at cleaning the glass this week. I'm not even pulling that up this week on basketball reference. They are giving up the 27th, or they are, I guess, fourth worst in the league in opponent offensive rebounds per game. Fourth worst. And it's a 13% increase from last year. So the stats back up the eye test there. And also, I was sent this to Caleb Blinn last week, too. We were talking about this. Um, the Bucks are allowing teams to shoot more from three. Like, they're allowing them to shoot more threes. And when you allow teams to shoot more threes... It stands to reason they'll make better and they'll make more threes. <laughs> so I just the defense is worse in a lot of aspects. And truthfully, there's a lot of things you can say about Bud. A lot of them. One of them is that one of the things you can't say is that his teams didn't execute. They knew the plan and they executed. Sometimes they stayed a little too rigid with that plan. But they always executed. They played fundamental basketball. I'm not the biggest Budenholzer fan, but I'm not like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy is the worst coach in the NBA. There's not like an NFL or MLB equivalent of him because <laughs> it's just hard to do what he does. <laughs> just like instill all the fundamentals, but then, you know, just completely. I mean, maybe it's Kyle Shanahan. Maybe Mike Budenholzer and Kyle Shanahan are analogous in this scenario because Shanahan's so insistent on his system that it lost them the Super Bowl. It lost the Falcons the Super Bowl in whatever year they made it. 28-3. to um, Obviously, Shanahan wasn't the head coach, but the same principle still applies. It was his offense because Dan Quinn was the head coach. Dan Quinn wasn't touching that offense. Dan Quinn's a defensive coach. So it's in all... For all intents and purposes, Kyle Shanahan was running that offense. I mean, and I, I, let me workshop that take, but the point is, is that there's coaches sometimes who can get you to the precipice, but can't get you over the mountaintop. Now you might say, hey, Budenholzer did get them over the mountaintop. Did he? <laughs> I love that 2021 Bucks team. I was enthralled with it. I think they're a great collection of talent, but we can pick some holes in that. We can pick some holes in that championship and you can't take away the championship. You win the championship. You're a champion forever, right? All that stuff, all that jazz, but (laughs) no one likes the, butt. but you have Harden going down in round two. The, by far the most impressive win of that run was them just utterly destroying the Heat's morale in round one. I will give them that 1,000%. Um, round two. Harden goes down game one. 
Kyrie goes down game three or four. One of those two. Um, then Durant has one of the most, one of the best games we've ever seen. Harden comes back on one leg. They, the Bucks pull out the last two. <laughs> then I'll give the Bucks this. They did pull out the last half of that Hawks series without Giannis. Okay. So you got to give them that. But that Suns team. Okay. Hindsight being 2020. I don't think they were the best team in the West that year. I really think. So first of all, okay. I think the two best teams in the West that year. And I know, you know, whatever. Again, hindsight being 2020. I really, really, really in my heart of hearts believe. Especially with the way the Pistons are starting this season. I, I wanted to give Monty Williams the benefit of the doubt so bad. But I think the two best teams in the West that year were the Nuggets before Jamal Murray went down. And Jokic was giving Aiden the work. <laughs> he was giving him work before. I mean, everyone, the prevailing sentiment coming out of that series was that Aiden had owned Jokic. And I didn't understand that at all. Okay. Jokic completely killed Aiton. Jokic just couldn't hit a shot from outside. If Jokic could hit a shot from outside, they probably would have won a game or two, but they didn't. Um, Aiton eight on the other end, yes, but Jokic still was Jokic in that series. Let's start there. And then the Clippers. Kawhi goes down, steps on Joe Ingles' foot. I think they were the best team in basketball that year. In my humble opinion... If I had, if injuries don't happen that year, now I, I know injuries happen every year. Injuries don't happen that year. My top five. Again, I know I'm the biggest Buck supporter of all time. Caleb Lynn is going to rip me for this. I don't care. Okay. Clippers won. I have to say it. Nets two. <laughs> I'd probably go Nuggets three, Bucks four. I think the Bucks. I think they got lucky. To, and we're going to circle all the way back now to Dante DiVincenzo. Dante DiVincenzo was an impactful player for them. He just frankly was. And they got arrogant and they're like, okay, oh, we don't need this guy. We got Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton, bless his heart. Great shooter. Good defender. But I'd rather have a good shooter and a great defender. Because Pat Connaughton's just slower. <laughs> than DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo's a great athlete. Just like, I'm just going to come out and say it. And I'm not saying Connaughton isn't. You know, Connaughton's got hops. But I'd rather have the guy who can stick his man like DiVincenzo can. Again, maybe I'm a little biased because I've been watching the Knicks this year, but I, I just can't stress enough how much of a mistake it was to let him go. And I know, again, I know hindsight is 2020. But I, I just, I believe that that mistake will probably be the one that comes back to haunt them. Especially if, you know, Middleton doesn't bounce back. Middleton's been, let me, let me start, say this on Middleton before I move on to, um, before I move on to the Pelicans here. We've seen this before with Middleton, where he was kind of thrust into an off the ball role. We saw it in 2019. Yeah, 2019, when Malcolm Bragdon was there and Eric Bledsoe. Middleton was the fourth option, and he did not take too well to that. So we're going to pull up basketball reference here. So, okay. 
so 2017-18, um, you know, pretty good season. He's 20 points a game, 46% from the field, 36% from three. Um, gets to the foul line four and a half times a game. 2018-19, regular season is a little better than I remembered it. 18 points a game, six rebounds, 4.3 assists, a steal. Um, but 41% from the field. Now, 38% from three. Again, he was off the ball a lot more that season. A lot more. But in the playoffs, in the playoffs, he was down to 17 points a game, 42% from the field. <laughs> so that means he shot 41, or not even 41. I'm going to do 40% from the field in the play. 40% from two in playoffs. It just was ugly that season. And the stats don't do it justice. The stats are a lot kinder to him than the eye test was that season. Because Brogdon was trying to dominate the ball. Bledsoe was trying to dominate the ball. Obviously Giannis. So there was a lot of too many cooks that season. Then, you know, next season, Middleton bounces back. (laughs) 20.9 points a game on 49.7% from the field. Um, 41.5% from three. And this was not... I mean, I'm sure the bubble probably increased those percentages, but... You know, they only played eight regular season games in the bubble. So he did the majority of that outside the bubble. Um, I think my point, my larger overall point is that you take the ball out of Chris Middleton's hands. He doesn't respond kindly to that. And I think that maybe once the three starts falling, this won't be a conversation because he is shooting 67 or 62 percent from two. That's a that's a pretty big difference. <laughs> 67 versus 62. Um, but I, I just I need to see it, you know. I, I need to see Middleton try to take be more aggressive, be more abrasive. I need to see more second quarter Middleton, right? Where how it always was, you know, oh, Giannis dominates the first and the third quarter, Middleton dominates the second and the fourth. I'd still like to see that, you know? I still like to see him have the ball a lot. I think you could do some stuff. It doesn't just have to be Dame. This isn't my idea. I'll say that. I don't remember who said it, so I don't. I can't properly give credit for this. It doesn't have to be Dame and Giannis every time. It could be Dame and Chris. It could be Chris and Giannis. That's the beauty of this arrangement, is that, you know, all three of these guys can handle the ball. Chris can be the one setting the screens. Dame can be the one setting the screens. Giannis can be the ball handler. There's a lot of different variations you can do. And it would be terrifying for the defense every single time. I think the main thing will be getting Chris to bounce back and getting the role players to either step up or improving those guys. And I think that second one's going to be a lot trickier than that first thing because Chris Middleton's a great player. He's a great player. He might be on the wrong side of 30, but he is a great player. So I, I just want to see him, you know, bounce back in that way. Okay, so the New Orleans Pelicans. So they are, let's see. The Pelicans are seven and seven, good for ninth in the West. Obviously, it's a little early to be doing playoff stuff, but in the West, it's going to be a little more important than the East, let's say. So, the last five lost the Mavs 136 124. That game wasn't even that close. Beat the Mavs 131 110. Beat the Nuggets 115 110. Lost to the Wolves 121 120. Then beat the Kings 129 93. Um, this team is kind of turning it around a little bit after 
that was a pretty rough stretch there. Um, that Mavericks loss, the first one I mentioned was the fifth in a five game losing streak. But now they've won three of their last four. Um, they're playing the Kings again tomorrow. So that'll be an interesting thing to monitor there as they go along. Um, I mean, this team had a pretty simple, I'd say, need going into the season. And they just needed spacing, right? Um, They definitely needed spacing. And they need it even more now. Trey Murphy has not played yet this season. Trey Murphy underwent surgery in the offseason. I believe he should be back. Let's just say at the latest by January. Okay. Um, they said 10 to 12 weeks in on October 24th. So yeah, we'll, we'll just call it January. Um, January, February, something like that. So that's your best shooter right there. Already gone. Or so we thought was their best shooter. Because into the fold steps their first round pick, um, Jordan Hawkins. <laughs> this kid has one of the purest strokes I've seen from a rookie in a long time. And he is getting them up at an absurd rate. He is taking seven and a half threes a game, making 36% of them. Now, that's not like a super impressive percentage, but compared to the rest of this team, that's like prime Steph Curry right there. You have to guard him out there. You cannot leave him open from distance. And he is, he's just a threat from out there. Dyson Daniels, um, his percentage isn't looking great, but he, at least he's shooting this year. I really like the way he looks. Um, and they need all the space they can get because I think Zion has not been looking as good as he has in, year past, in years past. And he's been kind of able to overcome the spacing by himself because, you know, he's freaking Zion. He can do that because he's awesome, right? But I, I'm I'm just a little concerned <laughs> that, you know, okay, we have this Zion thing, and it's going to be... Because usually Zion is shooting 60-whatever percent from the field. And, you know, maybe it's unfair that we expect this guy to shoot 60% from the field, but when that's the standard you set, I think it's fair to say, okay, what's going on here? Especially when you're not like <laughs> Zion's good, but he doesn't other than passing. I wouldn't say he's like a major contributor in a lot of other facets of the game. He's averaging four and a half assists a game. I'd say that's pretty, pretty good there. One guy I'd say is doing is having a remarkable bounce back season is Ingram. I don't think Ingram had the best regular season last year. He was pretty good in the postseason, but in the regular season, you know, it was whatever. Or let me say, I don't think. They made the playoffs, but in the play-in, he was pretty good. To close the regular season, Ingram was quite awesome. But for four and a half of the six months of the NBA season, (laughs) we'll just say Ingram did not live up to his previously set standards either. But he's kind of come out of the gates carrying that momentum he established at the end of the last season. And he's doing it in spite of not being able to buy a bucket from the arc. So right now, he's shooting 30.2% from three. (laughs) But he's still at... He's still at 50% from the field because he's shooting a blistering 56% from two. It feels like every time he lines up inside the arc, it's going in. It's honestly insane because you just watch him. It's just like a simple behind the back, you know, or just he gets to his spot every single time. 
And it's kind of spacing proof because he's, you know, he's not necessarily trying to get to the rim. I mean, he's not not trying to get to the rim, but he can kind of create those shots in those tight windows and you can't double him because of Zion. Now, that's one thing I'll be curious to monitor once, not once, if Zion goes down again or if Ingram goes down because they're both liable to miss time. That's something I'll be interested in a monitor, especially if CJ doesn't come back for a little while. Now, I saw CJ is practicing, full participant in practice, so maybe he'll come back a little sooner than we thought. He had a collapsed lung. Um, so maybe CJ will be back in maybe the next week or two. Who can really say? Um, but if it's one of those guys without, you know, CJ around them, it's going to be interesting to see because I think Hawkins is a... I think he should start permanently. I don't would not take that guy out of the starting rotation, even when Trey Murphy gets back. I think that guy needs to be a starter. I love what he does out on the floor for them. Um, Dyson Daniels has been freaking awesome, too. I don't know if I'd still I'd probably bench him in favor of CJ McCollum, safe to say. But I think that he's been awesome, too. The tricky thing for this team is just you got to do something about Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Here, here, herein lies the problem. You have a spacing. You're a team that has a spacing problem. You have a, a three who's not particularly inclined to space the floor, and who want, who likes to dribble the ball a lot. You have a four, who's not inclined to space at all, and who likes to operate. He's expanding his range a little bit. And when I say expanding his range, he's shooting from like twelve now. <laughs> he's not only shooting it from three feet and in. Where does Jonas Valanciunas fit into this? It's not like he's gunning from three this year. He's taking 2.1 a game, which I would guess might be a career high. But it's not like he's Brooke Lopez out there. So it's tied for his career high. He took 2.1 in 21-22 when Zion played a good amount. If I have Jonas Valanciunas, I don't want him at the three-point line, especially because I know... Bless his heart. <laughs> Anyone who's watched the Pelicans knows... That he does this little thing. Every time he catches the ball behind the three-point line, he always pump fakes it and then starts to dribble towards the paint because no one's actually guarding him behind the three-point line. (laughs) Absolutely nobody. So therein lies the question, right? What are you supposed to do with that guy? Obviously, the guy everyone's been saying for years for this team is Miles Turner. I think he's off the table. Safe to say. You tried to turn Jackson Hayes into that Miles Turner guy. Didn't work. Now he's in Los Angeles. So what are you going to do? I think it's fair to ask. I mean, I don't think Cat's the guy for this team. I don't think you can have four <laughs> guys on max salaries, A, and then B, Cat's not a good enough defender to justify what, how upset he'll be when he's just relegated to being Mehmet Okur, basically. With all due respect. He's not Mehmet Okur, but on this team, he would be Mehmet Okur. So... Or if you want to be even more disrespectful, you can say Paralanteach. <laughs> we can go on down the line. Um, I think this team, I don't know what the fix is. They clearly need help. <laughs> they clearly can't go past the trade deadline with their team looking like this. And they have pieces I think teams would want. I think that Kira Lewis Jr., I would take a shot on him if I was a team like the Blazers. I don't know what the Blazers have to offer that the Pelicans maybe want. But, you know, if I was a rebuilding team, I'd take a shot on a guy like Kira Lewis. 
I take a shot on a guy like EJ Liddell. I think that guy's a winning player. I haven't seen him much in the NBA level because he's played nine total minutes. But I, I think that guy's, from what I saw of him at college, I think he's a winning player. Where does Jose Alvarado fit into all of this? <laughs> you have two young guards who have been playing awesome. Najee Marshall's been playing great. Where does he fit into all this? Especially when Murphy gets back. I haven't even said the name Herb Jones. When's the last time I did a Pelicans podcast and didn't bring up the name Herb Jones? He is averaging 3.6 stocks a game. Steals plus blocks. I, I mean, this team is loaded with talent. But having a lot of talent doesn't mean it's all coherent. And I think that's the lesson of the Pelicans right now is that, okay, you have all this talent, right? And I think Griffin, I think his gift is that when he gets it right, it's like hitting a home run dead center, like right off the barrel, right? But when he gets it wrong, he's like those guys, when they're at the plate, they're expecting a fastball, and they get a 50-mile-an-hour knuckleball, and they swing way ahead of it, and they're spinning at it by the time... And the ball hasn't even crossed the plate yet, and they're still spinning. <laughs> and they're done spinning by the time the ball crosses the plate. So I, I think that, you know, Griffin, in the aggregate, I think he's a good GM. I just, I would like to see him make some moves to help solidify the future of this roster. Maybe tell Herb Jones, hey, you know, put on 20 pounds and become a center. You know, maybe tell... Trey Murphy, you know, put on 20 pounds and become a power forward. Maybe tell Zion, you know, you're just going to play center now. Suck it up. Maybe that's what they should have been doing this whole time. Honestly. I don't... I understand, you know... I think that's probably what they should do. Now that I'm talking it out with myself. I think... Zion at center is really the only solution. But if he's going to keep getting hurt... Is it worth investing all that into a guy that's going to keep getting hurt? I think realistically, your best lineup, right? Your best closing lineup would be CJ, Hawkins, Murphy, Ingram at the four. Key distinction there. I want that guy at the four. I think Ingram's best spot is the four. I've said this pretty much the whole time we've been doing the power hour. I think his best spot is the four. And then I want Zion at the five. Maybe throw her about there instead of Murphy, but then the spacing might get messed up. It's a hard balance. <laughs> Maybe you mess with things, right? Maybe you have a lineup where you play Ingram with JV and you play Herb with Zion and you let Zion play the five. Let me see something, actually. Let me pull it clean in the glass. Let's see if they actually have tried Zion at the five. Because um, I'm curious, you know? I think it's a fair thing to be like, oh, you know... Why aren't they, uh, why wouldn't they play Zion at the five? So I, I'm, let me, let me just take a look real quick. So let's see, Zion Williamson. Okay. So I think one of his things too, is just like looking at him, you know, I think if he plays the five, it opens up the rest of the floor so much. And his gift is kind of like, okay, we're going to steal the ball. I think he could be like a guy who I don't want. I don't think I want him taking charges, but okay. Positions. 
so this year he's played 17% of his minutes at center. I'd be okay. Let's see who he's been playing with at center because I obviously I've only watched a couple of Pelicans games and they clearly did not play with him at center very much. Um, and then let's filter it just so it's crystal clear. Um, Zion at center, JV off the court. So I know this is riveting podcasting, but just so we can see. Okay, so the most used lineup is Matt Ryan at point guard. That might be why. <laughs> um, bless his heart. I don't know how much I like him. Matt Ryan at point guard. Dyson Daniels at the two. Jordan Hawkins at the three. Najee Marshall at the four. Zion at the five. Now, this lineup is plus 46.8. Okay. This lineup, okay, has an anemic offense. Truly anemic. Or any lineup with Zion at center. 98.4 points plus per 100 possessions. But they have a lockdown defense. 102.3 points per 100 possessions. Maybe it's worth the trade-off. You haven't really played it enough to justify... To see what it's worth. So I think... In conclusion, I think that's what I would try. You know, maybe that's the solution to the spacing problem is just have two shooters out there next to because your other solution would be to not start CJ <laughs> and to keep starting Hawkins and uh, Murphy. I, I mean, I guess CJ is probably as good of a shooter as Murphy or Hawkins, but <sighs> I think if you are able to start CJ or if you're able to play CJ Hawkins and Murphy, right. And then you supplement them with Ingram and, Zion inside. That's probably your most dangerous look. And I don't think the Pelicans are thinking. I think Willie Green's a great coach. Let me make that abundantly clear. I have a ton of respect for him after what he's been able to cobble together <laughs> these last couple seasons because Lord knows this is this job isn't for the faint of heart. But man, I I do not I'll, I'll just say I do not envy. <laughs> I do not envy you. Um do not envy you, Willie. But I think I just think it's worth a look. That's all I'll say. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Power Hour. Um, if you have any Zion thoughts, please don't hesitate to at me at Alex Burfour on Twitter. Um, please don't hesitate. You know, if you have any complaints about this podcast, please don't hesitate to at Devin Voss at Devin Voss 23 or at Dylan Hughes at by Dylan Hughes. Um, both of them are very willing to listen to your complaints about this podcast. I think that, um, Next week's show is going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you now. I don't think there's been a higher person on Zach Levine than me. So I don't know how I'm going to react to watching him basically quitting on the Bulls. And got to call a spade a spade here. He's been. He's trying his best to get out of Chicago, so. Can't say I'm enthralled with what he's doing in Chicago right now, but um, let's just hope that this is a happy ending and I, they might be a team I toss to the back burner when I don't have as much time to do or when I don't have time to do lottery teams in the second half of the season. So um, make sure you check out our other wonderful offerings on the network. Obviously no other pods this week, but make sure you check out um, cinema. Make sure you check out Zach's pod on um Killers of the Flower Moon. It's a little old at this point, but still, you know, if you love that movie, you'll love that pod. Make sure you check out Back Shoulder Fade from last week and Linsanity. 
you know, obviously back shoulder fade might be a little less timely, but, uh, you know, still always some good betting advice on there, especially their future stuff. Future stuff is always a little more timely than the week, the weekly football stuff. I'll just say that. So make sure you check that out and then make sure, um, obviously Linsanity next week, I believe Caleb will be taking off. So I'll be filling in on back shoulder fade. And I believe Zach will be filling in on Linsan or shatty sanity. Excuse me. So make sure you check out that awesome, those awesome pods. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening. And I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. Go nobody in the big game because I don't want either of them to win. (laughs) 